yes, another episode of Keo Conversations. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. All right, I am chatting with Jeff, whose goal is to make mindfulness and meditation accessible to diverse audiences in order to help people live more fulfilled lives. He's also the co-author, along with Dan Harris and Carly Adler, of Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. This is a really awesome book. It's hilarious. It's one of those no-bullshit guides to meditations. Highly recommend it. Writing that book led Jeff to another unexpected specialty, which is speaking openly about how meditation has and hasn't helped with his own mental health challenges, from ADD to excessive energy to various flavors of what Jeff calls moody agonizing. We go into detail on all of these topics. He's just a flat out awesome individual and I am pumped to share this with you. Enjoy. If you are enjoying these conversations, please do give us a little love wherever you're listening. The reviews, stars, they do go a long way. And lastly, this episode and the whole podcast is really brought to you by Keo, which is our daily mental fitness app. All of these incredible guests end up in-app to help guide you through your mental fitness. Take it for a spin. It's in the Apple App Store. All you have to search is K-Y-O. Thank you, as always, and have the absolute best day yet. So, Jeff, the, the, the first question is a little bit loaded. It's just, who are you or what defines you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, well, I, I mean, I think my honest answer is what defines me is my relationships. You know, just uh, yeah. I feel like that's what I value in my life. And that's uh, put a lot of work into uh, maintaining my, my close friendships and relationship with my wife and my family and so I feel like having that network, that community is what it's like one of the main things that gives my life meaning. And I think, I think our communities do reflect back on us, you know, our, the, our, the, our, the nature of our integrity, our connections. Um, so that's just what came to mind, but maybe a more helpful answer for your listeners is I'm a writer and meditation teacher. You know, I, I started out as a journalist way back uh, working for the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation and then I left to write a book about consciousness, um, really interested in more the neurobiology of uh, consciousness. Well, well, not just the, what was the experience of being awake and asleep over 24 hours and how did our experience uh, change and what was going, what could we say was going on in the brain or in the biology that was helpful for context there. And that led me into meditation just to be a practitioner. And as I got more experience uh, you know, meditating and exploring that side of things, really the experiential side, my own teacher started encouraging me to, you know, share and guide my own practices. And eventually, you know, I started to, now I kind of do it full time and I love it. It's so insanely rewarding. <laughs> it's like nothing yeah, is more rewarding because people are like, they come up to you and they're like, oh, thank you. Thank you. Like, you know, this is changing my life as if it's you doing it. You're just offering a technique. But meanwhile, you're like, you have no idea. Like, the, it, it, it's such a privilege. Like, the gift is going the other direction too. Like, just sitting and being able to do that 
And when people, because it's just about people being real together. That's just, mm-hmm. it's amazing. So I feel like the luckiest person in the world, basically. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. The, the, the one thing I wanted to ask you about, Jeff, is when you brought up rela- relationships. And the reason I asked this question is just so that, because I think a lot of people default into what they do, right? And, um, which is fine, but, it, you know, we really want to try to get into, you know, how, how you view yourself as a person. So I'm really, A, I can resonate with what you said about relationships and, and B, wanted to ask you, like, was there, has that always been a part of, of your DNA? Have you always been really uh, conscious of relationships like this? Is this something that's evolved over time or was there a a point in your life where, you know, you kind of had this realization about you? Uh, Actually, that's a really perceptive question. I think it, it wasn't always there and it did evolve. I think maybe part of the reason I appreciate my relationships so much is because I felt very alienated when I was younger. You know, I kind of felt trapped in my own head I didn't, you know, I didn't, I found it hard just to drop into the natural flow of hanging out with people. You know, there's people you can hang out with. They're just sort of effortlessly there. They can just effortlessly catch a Frisbee. They always know the right thing to say. They seem to just be in flow. Uh, That was not me. (laughs) So so being not like that, where I I was really more self-conscious and always trying to strategize about how to look normal and fit in and Um, and then as you know, what really helped with that was my practice. And as I got deeper into meditating and I just started, um, both being more genuinely present and there and more easily in flow, uh, and also just really much more appreciative of the contrast. Like, Oh my gosh, I, I'm so thankful that that can be the case because it was so not like that before. It was like going from a desert into a (laughs) <laughs> into a, a lusher landscape for sure. Sure. Well, just being able to see it, I guess, right? Because that, that's something I've I've noticed even just picking up all these different practices, um, primarily because of a lot of the work we're doing with Kyo. It's just this this hyper awareness, like is such, um, I like that to me is the gift. Uh, being able to because these things are all there. It's just <laughs> whether you can see them or not, right? Exactly. Well, that's a, that's actually the essence of mindfulness practices, <laughs> you just summarized it, you know, that all this stuff is there, but our awareness is sort of on the surface and we don't really, we're not sensitized to all the things that are going on in our experience inside us, around us, among us. And as you begin to get more clear, uh, as you begin to sort of start to pay attention to these subtleties, then the world expands, you know, your, you could say your consciousness expands, you start to see there's more going on than you realized. And, and you begin to develop a wider and wider set of responses to mm-hmm. that bigger world. And it's like a great, that's the great trajectory of a practice. <laughs> and it just keeps going too. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, that's the exciting piece. It's, it seems like it's, it's, it's endless, right? It's, um, it's super rewarding. It's rewarding and it's endless and it, and it gets, it goes below the social world into the natural world, and then it keeps going into the nature of reality itself. I mean, that is an inquiry every human being can actually really take. <laughs> and it's real. It's yeah. not just delusional. That is an area that I do. Uh, I'm going to come back to that because I remember, um, I think it was an interview that you and, and Dan Harris were doing and you were, you, you were, in, and these are this concepts in, in the bo- your latest book with him as well, but just getting into some of the the mystical aspects of it. And I think you said something along the lines of, um, 
I'm paraphrasing, but just like not to not to ignore that whole piece, because there's a lot of talk, obviously, around on meditation and just mindfulness practices right now about, you know, this this is how you can reduce stress and anxiety and control your thoughts and all this kind of stuff. Right. Which is which is getting a lot of press and it's beneficial. uh, Absolutely. But even in my own journey um, now, I'm even starting to think like I'd love to go deeper and kind of hit those those deeper moments of that, that meditation is bringing up after consistently doing it over and over again. So what, what are your thoughts around that kind of those two worlds? Uh, yeah, well, I think a lot about that, you know, I think you, you got to start where people are at. So and a lot of people are mm-hmm. just overwhelmed and stressed. And so it's an absolutely natural way to kind of come in there. Uh, other people get at it more from an empowerment piece. They want to be, they want better focus. They want, um, you know, they want to be more compassionate. There's lots of reasons to go into a practice. And that's, I think it's legit. There's a danger though, particularly when you're coming at it for things like stress reduction or whatever it is to imagine that this practice is about, is all about addressing the negatives. And as opposed to the yeah. flip side of that, you know, the inverted image of that, which is the opening to the positives. And that's, there are many practices that really emphasize, I mean, most practices will emphasize kind of both sides of that, but you can kind of, it's important to know that that other exists. And in fact, the traditional path to awakening, say in a Buddhist context, is really, they say that what they would say in Indian philosophy is there's no gaining idea. You're not adding anything in. You're just taking away. You're taking away the things that prevent you from knowing what was already there, the kind of beautiful Mm -hmm perfect nature in a sense of what was already there. So you remove, you know, your, the parts of you that are in reactivity, the parts of you that are, that are suffering and damaged and angry. And as those get um, integrated and metabolized, then all the subtle, beautiful stuff that was always there can start to come up more fully. Um, And that includes that. that, that includes this more mystical piece, which, I mean, mystical makes it sound, it's so funny. It's such an irony in the world, word mystical because it makes it sound <laughs> somehow rarefied. But mysticism is, in, is, couldn't be more common. It's about questions of being, which everyone exists. <laughs> so it's about yeah. something becomes mystical, you could say, when it becomes one way of saying, okay, maybe when weird experiences are happening, sure, that's one corner of mysticism. But the much more interesting dimension to mysticism is the, the universal and natural side of just beginning to be interested in your own being and questions of being and how you are and feeling the immediacy and the intimacy of being alive. You know, I would say that's fundamentally a kind of mystical position, <laughs> whether you, whatever you want to call it, an existential position, a spiritual position. Well, it's just, it's just, yeah, it's just that extra level of, of, of depth. But I feel like, cause even in our world, I mean, when we were chatting before, before hitting record, um, you know, I wasn't watching my language, but typically I won't even use the word journaling, you know, depending on who I'm speaking with, because it automatically sets up these, these perceptions of, oh, you're, yeah. you know, you're speaking about the 12 year old girl right in her diary, right? About the boy at school, which, you know, A, there's nothing wrong with that, but B, you know, not necessarily like there's a lot more to it, right? So I just find that we're, we're at an interesting place right now in, in just our society that, the level of openness. And, and I think, I think meditation has a lot to do with this because I, I feel journaling is maybe about two years behind where, where meditation is currently at. 
uh, due to a lot of work that you know you're a part of and, and whatnot. But just we're still not there, right? Where it's 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 as normal to say uh, I'm just going to meditate before I meet you for dinner as it is to say I'm, I'm going to go for a quick run, right? We're we're slowly getting there, um, which is exciting. Yeah. But it, I mean, there's something, um, if I might just uh, add something there, because yeah. you made me think of something. The language issue is uh, an important issue. You know, it's something at the Consciousness Explorers Club I, I think a lot about because I'm really interested in introducing people to very different kinds of practices. But as soon as you begin to use the jargon of a particular tradition or spirituality, you create some reactivity in people. And yeah. that's completely understandable because what's happening is people feel like they're having a kind of worldview foisted on them. Because if you use a set of terms or language, there's a set of assumptions around how the world is that some people may not actually have bought into. And that is a consent issue. You know, it's a kind of like existential consent issue that I think that that's why a lot of people recoil against it. However, having said that, um, it, these practices and, and the language themselves, the proprietary languages of different traditions may well be pointing to something really, really important. So my, my challenge as a teacher is always like, okay, how can I articulate this in the language of direct experience? So say, say for example, just to give you an example, we were talking about chakras. You know, someone yeah. would say, hey, connect your heart chakra as though it were a self-evidential part, self part of reality. But some people might not actually think that's a part of reality. And it certainly isn't part of, of the objective world in the way we would imagine like a stone or a flower is. It's a part of experience. So you can, but it's, it's more useful to think of that not as a description, but as like a prescription, something you can do. So you say, hey, connect mm -hmm. to a feeling in your chest. And if there's a feeling, see if there's a feeling of warmth or energy there. Now there either is or there isn't, but you don't have to talk about chakras at all. And that's a way in for people who then could then get the benefits of the practice. And so there's a, so it's, it's really useful to think about how to use language, you know, and if, if people have a bunch of associations that close them to the practice, then you would know that there's ways of speaking skillfully about the practice that can still bring them into its benefits. Uh, you, yeah, you, you nailed it. And because then at the end of the day, like if you continue, if that person continues down the journey, uh, I, I mean, I don't want to put a timeline to it, but at one point the language won't matter anymore and it'll be completely normal and they'll be opened up to just a whole other world. It's just obviously the, exactly. the it's, it's, it, it's, Making sure that they're that people aren't shut down from the very beginning, I guess, right, is is kind of exactly. the summary of that. And what I love about what you, what you do, and and I've been just crushing through um, your your latest book with uh, with Dan Harris, uh, and I'll put this all in the show notes. But meditation for uh, fidgety skeptics is just your ability to layer in humor with describing different meditations and different methods and practices and whatnot. Have you? Have you always had that element to, to your character? Like, has humor been a, a big part of your life? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a big part of my family's life. We, we laughed a lot when we were growing up. You know, okay. my, my mom has a really awesome sense of humor. My dad does too. And, uh, you know, because I knew that, like I learned as a young, I was just the joker when I was a kid, always cracking jokes, trying to crack people up and was accused my whole life of not being that serious. <laughs> so, and, uh, and then, but then it was interesting, you know, that piece kind of changes because like, I, I think having a kind of absurdist outlook, an affectionate absurdity for things is really a healthy outlook. But yeah. um, what changed for me was when I was younger, I often would be trying to be funny. I would try to crack jokes. I would try to make 
people laugh. And, mm-hmm. um, and there was part of that that was a bit driven, you know, it was like I wanted to be accepted and liked by people. And as I got deep in my practice, that the that part started to fall away. Like I still, it's more like, yeah, I make jokes just for the sake of it because I think it's fun. But the part of it that was like, oh, I'm trying to, you know, manipulate the situation to be liked. You start to notice through practice oh, all the ways in which you're in subtle ways trying to manipulate things around you. I mean, it's natural. And you start going, oh, wow, do I really want to expend energy doing that? Do I really sure. care? You know, actually, you know, I do care about, I li- I like, I want to be liked, obviously, but at the same time, um, you know, you also don't care. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. So, so anyway, that's, that's some thoughts about that. Well, it's just like, what, what I love about it is it, it, the humor aspect of it immediately just kind of softens the topic a little bit, that's right? Definitely and it, true. It make, right. It makes it, makes it more approachable for people and you almost immediately are able to relate and and then again, it's just that that door opener into this this beautiful world, right? That's almost hidden to, for for most of the population. So yeah, I, I think it really it actually points a lot to the point we were saying earlier. You know, it humor shows like it shows that you don't take yourself so seriously, and that's important yeah. because it's when someone takes themselves really seriously, you're like, well, I don't know if I want to buy into that whole worldview that's coming with that, you know, and and it's just, but if you're light in it, then it's like you're not you're not asking any, anything of anyone. And it's, so it's much easier to make a connection that way. Yeah, absolutely. What about, I wanted to ask you a bit about sitting in discomfort, because this, this is a, this is a theme that, that has, has come up quite a bit just in, in the book and as well as, as other interviews that you've done. So just for our, our audience, you know, what, what is your, what is your take on that, that notion? And what, and what do you mean by that? Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's an important kind of stage in a meditation practice and any practice really. Um, you know, it's learning to tolerate your own discomfort. And one of the things that starts to happen in a practice is as we sit and we open, we start to notice things that we, about ourselves that we may not have wanted to notice. We start to, uh, get more sensitive to all the ways in which we're trying to, like I said, manage things, but also all the ways in which we're slightly fighting with our experience and struggling and trying to block this and block that. And, um, and you realize how much energy is bound up in that resistance. And yeah. so through a practice, as you start to open, you start to, you have to learn to let go of those resistances and just be okay with the basic discomfort that might be there. And it's oftentimes in your life when you're going to be uncomfortable, when you're not going to know an answer to something. And you can try to hide it and run from it and avoid it, but you can't, you can't really outrun it. You have to learn how to work with it in the moment. So there's this deeply mature part of a practice, which is learning to be okay with your own you know, discomfort, that sometimes life's going to be in hard patches. And it'll actually paradoxically move through those patches more quickly if you open to the discomfort itself. And that is not something that's <laughs> very intuitive at the beginning. Yeah, no, for sure. But you have this, uh, I can't, I'm going to paraphrase a bit. Isn't it something like welcome to the party? Like some sort of naming <laughs> or again, the humor coming yeah. out, right? That, yeah, uh, I love that. Yeah. The welcome to the party is, I mean, that's, uh, sort of, that's kind of a meditation instruction I give people, you know, in terms of like, normally you start practicing and you say you're working with the breath and you just really don't want any other distractions to be there. You're like, and you're, you're mad when you start thinking or, Someone starts, you know, screaming in the next door or whatever's happening, like four alarm fires going off. But instead, if you can just change your perspective and say, hey, 
you know what? All this is welcome. You know, you're not, I'm not going to get uptight when things aren't going perfect. And I'm, I'm not going to get, you know, freaked out about these distractions. Although you might want to pay attention to the four alarm fire. <laughs> but so you have, so, so that welcoming attitude is called equanimity, actually. That's the, that's the skill you're building in a practice. And it's very, it's transformative. It not just transforms your practice. It can transform your life. If you just learn to be a little bit more tolerant of all the things that you think you need to have and <laughs> they need to be just so, you know? Yeah. Well, what, what, what's amazing about that, in, in my opinion, is that, yeah, you can, you can think of that from a perspective of, of your actual practice, but then, you know, exercising that muscle while you're, while you're in meditation or any of these practices, really, then like, there's so much tremendous benefit to you, like just welcoming uncertainty and changes in plans and like really anything in your life at work and personal like that notion or that concept is so beneficial oh my gosh yeah i mean this is i mean that's the point of meditation the point of meditation is not to get to be a better meditator it's to actually be a better human being it's to live more deeply and all this and i often think of it as like meditation is like it's kind of like this you know psycho spiritual emotional skill building for dummies you know it's like it just tells you that's why i will i like it because it's like i'm a dummy when it comes to life so but if i have an instruction that tells me what to do in the moment i can practice that instruction in the moment and i had to start with that and then once i started getting the habit of what to do in the moment when i was sitting i started to see more and more how i could apply it to the rest of life now i think there's other people who figured out on their own through a through other practices like journaling like many other ones or they're just naturally a kind of wise person who kind of sure. learn, learn from life and they don't, you know, so that's why it may not be that everybody needs to meditate, but I think everyone could definitely use a practice, a practice of being deliberate about how they are in the world and, you know, feedbacks for noticing if it's, you know, helping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm going to shift a bit of the focus just um, before we get into, you know, some of your other practices that, that keep you running at the top of your, your game each day. Um, but I wanted to talk about something that I think you're just, you're, you're starting to speak about and, and that's, um, ADD, right. Mm-hmm. And it, it comes up in obviously in, in the book and, and I wanted to bring it up because I think naturally, you know, we have perceptions of, oh, well, you know, Jeff is this dialed in meditation, you know, coach or teacher and has all these practices. Like he must just be clear headed and just flying each day. Right. But you're a human being as well, right? So, and 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 one of these, you know, one of these 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 elements in your life has seems to be consistently since you were a child has been um, uh, ADD. So, how how have you used some of these practices to to help work through that and and even start talking about it, right? And I mean, it was a it was a big part of actually kind of co writing this book with with Dan Harris, where it was where it was coming up, right? So yeah. you're, you're kind of still working, working through that, which uh, I think is important to talk about. Yeah. Well, I mean, you just nailed it on, hit the nail on the head. It's, I'm still working through it. Like uh, I have a lot of ADD is really real ADD, you know, is actually really hard. It's a, it's a challenge to live with. And it's, it's not just ADD for me. It's also the emotional, the ups mm-hmm. and downs, the spikes. Uh, and that's just an ongoing part of my condition because I'm not on any meds or anything. So I, I wrestle with it every day and there's a sure. lot of ways in which I still, you know, there's, and so I've learned a lot about how practice can and can't help with that situation. 
And I'm continuing to learn, you know, because it's always changing as I get deeper into it. Okay. Um, one of the things I've learned about, I mean, there's so there are many ways in which it helps. The primary, most important way at the beginning is just accepting that that's your situation. You know, a lot of the, yeah. there's a, a line my teacher has, which is a brilliant line. He says, suffering equals pain times resistance. So you can't avoid pain and hardship in your life. It's just a, that's how it goes. There's going to be periods that are going to be hard. But insofar as you're fighting with it and trying to like block that from happening and trying to quash it down or whatever, you're going to just amplify your suffering around it. So a lot of my suffering around ADD was because I hated the fact that I had ADD and I resented it and I just would fight with it. And it was like fighting against my nature. You know, and when I could just start to see it and be like, okay, this is how my brain works. That's okay. There's gifts with it as well as challenges and kind of doing this adult move of just that really took a lot of the suffering out of it, you know, and that doesn't mean there are still major challenges because there are. I mean, if you're wired that way, there's just going to be certain kinds of things in the world that are going to be harder for you to do like organizational stuff. But yeah. So is that like, a how often are you going through you know, was that just a, a a moment where you said, you know what, enough? It, it's almost coming back to the welcome to the party concept, right? Um, you know, it's here, um, accepting this, and you just consciously made the decision that you're going to work from that perspective, or is it some, or or, or or did that look different? You know, it's like a yeah. weekly or daily thing. No, I like your questions, man. They're really, uh, you can tell you're interested in practice. I appreciate that. Um, okay. Uh, it's a, you know, it was, it was an, it was an insight that, that happened in a particular moment and that I then, that tend changed things a little bit, but then it's also a continuous practice, you know, cause it's really like saying, okay. when do you accept your life? And what, and you, that's a practice of a lifetime <laughs> yeah. because there's always going to be Jeez. shit going off and you're like, oh man, this is not how I want things to go. And you're going to be fighting against it. And then you got to go, okay, I got to, and when I say accept, I don't mean this is a very hard thing to kind of try to communicate. It's one of the tricky parts of practice. I'm talking, I'm talking acceptance is about your experience. You're accepting that the world is having an impact on you in that way. That's not necessarily saying you're object, you're accepting some objective circumstance. So you could not like the fact that there's a particular person in office, for example, and it's important that you keep being, you know, passionately not liking that. If that's where you're at, that's true to who you are, but you have to accept the fact that it is happened that it's already a done deal. Yeah. So you're accepting the moment's impact on you. And that's what actually gives you energy and strength to make a difference to create different outcomes in the world. So that's a very important and kind of subtle distinction to make because otherwise people could think, well, why do I want to accept all parts of my life? There's things in my life that need to change. No doubt that's true. But you have to, if you want to change them, you have to begin by saying, okay, they're there. <laughs> they're, they're having, and they're yeah. having an impact. Um, yeah. So, well, so there's that equanimity piece, but the the other piece that's been like even more as important has been the mindfulness part of beginning to notice if for me, this is the energy thing I have now can track when I start to go up and when I start to go down and I can then pull out and not feed it. So when mm -hmm. I start to get really, really, and this is a little different than the scattered bloat that happens with ADD. The scattered bloat is kind of always there. It kind of goes and ebbs and flows. There's times when I'm much more naturally concentrated and the practice helps. And there's times when I'm more blown out. And, and in those times, I do different practices. So I can talk about that. But this is the, uh, the other thing is the, the mood ups and downs. Um, what I've learned to do is 
Um, it used to be, I'd just be in my hypomania and just having the best time ever because mania is fucking awesome. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. exactly. Like, everything is awesome. Ah! You're just like, you know, and you're super pumped with everything and everyone wants to hang out with you because you're so damn fun, <laughs> even yeah. though you're, what goes up must come down. Yeah. So, so now even there I can see, well, my energy just spiked. I got all psyched and I can just notice inside when that starts to happen. And, and instead of subtly feeding it, I just let go of it. And then it kind of just goes up like a bell shaped curve and comes down. And so I can regulate much more in, in the center. Um, and the same is sort of true, but going down, going down is harder. Like I've, I'm at the stage in my life where I'm now experiencing more downs than ups because I think because I in part started to really figure out the ups. And so now it's giving me yeah. more opportunities to figure out how to be with my downness and not feed that. And the downness for me is sort of just like a lost feeling of like, oh man, I'm never going to get my shit together. I can't get a freaking... I can't do this newsletter, author newsletter thing I'm supposed to do or how am I supposed to work this social media angle and I'm not organized and I just suck and I'm useless and it's always going to be like this and I'm just wasting my my potential to help and, you know, whatever doomsday yeah. thing I'm around and around my head in. You know, I start to catch that earlier too when I just go have compassion for myself and just back off from that energy and then eventually can reset. And that is like that is a description of sanity. I mean, that is what you're building in a mindfulness practice. You're building sanity. And this practice keeps me sane. Amen to that. I mean, that's, I mean, I think you just described, like when you were describing that, I mean, that's pretty much my exact world and probably 90% of the people listening. So we can all benefit <laughs> from regulating those, those highs and lows in, in, in some capacity. I, w- I was reading, um, there's, a, there's a really good book by, that just came out by Scott Belsky. Uh, and it's called the messy middle, and it's just the whole premise is around, you know, you hear about new companies and new ideas at that very beginning all the time, right? There's a lot of hype and people are excited, and then either you just never hear about it again because it, it it's disappeared, or like five years down the road, press and exits or whatever like events start happening, right? But no one talks about that middle piece where all the magic lies and where you're trying to survive and where it's loaded full of daily highs and lows, right? And his piece of advice there is, you know, never make decisions in any of those extreme conditions. Like always try to make key decisions when you when you've normalized, which you've just provided kind of a great insight into yeah, that. Yeah, that's a really it's interesting. I completely agree with that and uh, and understand that. You know, I think one thing to say to people who might be in the mess <laughs> is yeah. that it always comes around. I don't even think you, I don't think you ever yeah. get to the end of the mess. It's more like you're just loop through it. It's in cycles. It's sort of these wider and wider concentric circles and you can come back in. But the experience of being in a mess is also the experience of integration. Uh, it's like it's like you're before you kind of got things figured out, you think you know what's happening and then things change. And all of your normal responding habits kind of fall apart. And that is, and so you're in, and then that's when you're lost. You're kind of in a mess. You don't know what's going on. That is the experience of your nervous system creating a new structure. It's beginning to build a new plateau coming together again. And that's so, that's why the advice in that place is the right one, not to necessarily make decisions, just to let go and relax into it. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm going to, um, because I want to be conscious of of, of time, because um, I know we'll probably get into quite a bit of detail in this next part. But um, even though we've been talking about this, but uh, I want to shift into just the concept of of mental fitness, and I'll, I'll pr- provide a bit of context to this. It's 
we, we like when I say we, the team over here, we, we've been really talking a lot about just mental fitness, almost in relation to because people can understand physical fitness and mental fitness being that in, that includes mental health, that includes you know mental performance, and really it's the kind of the umbrella. At least that's the way we're looking at it. But I'm I'm curious to get like when I say the word mental fitness, like what does that mean to you? Well, I mean, actually, it fits perfectly with how I think about what practice is. You know, I think of practice as uh, it's sort of training how you want to exist. And the the perfect analogy is with physical fitness, just like physical fitness, you're kind of training what kind of body you you want, you know, what kind of cardiovascular system, what kind of muscle system, all the rest of it. You know, when it comes to mental, emotional and spiritual practices, you're training how uh, what kind, how you want to exist in the world, the kinds of responses you want to make, the qualities of mind and heart that you want to bring to the world. And they're like muscle groups. And the, and the three muscle groups that I emphasize, actually there's four, again and again and again, is the muscle group of concentration, which is the muscle group of, it's the, it's the, the horizon line we move towards of being able to bring all of our attentional resources into one place. So, staying with something, paying attention to it and holding the commitment. And it's what leads to flow and all this good stuff. Uh, Then there's the muscle group of clarity, which is the awareness piece of beginning to be curious about what's going on in your experience and actually starting to care about subtleties in your experience, to notice them, to to learn from them. Um, And then there's the skill of equanimity, which I talked about earlier, and that's the skill of accepting that this is the actual moment you're in. <laughs> you're not in any other moment. And yeah. so where can you, how can you let go of all the little subtle ways you're fighting with the moment and just be here so then you can make the best response? And then finally, there's the skill of friendliness, compassion, whatever you want to call it, gratitude. I mean, that's an, you can't beat that skill. And that just that's like icing on the cake because you walk around with a default of more kindness and caring quality, you're just going to have a better life and you're improving the life of people around you. And, and there's so much to appreciate in this life. And there's a lot of hard stuff too. So that at some point, you got to start turning a corner and decide to make a deliberate practice out of, out of appreciating the subtle things because otherwise you're just inside the big hard things, you know? Yeah, so true. So true. So then how for, for you personally over, over the years, uh, obviously meditation has been a part of your your practice in, in exercising these, these muscle groups, as you're describing, what are some other practices, uh, you know, routines, uh, things that are in your life that are non-negotiables for you? Uh, movement. Movement is absolutely non-negotiable. Like, okay. and I mean like a deliberate movement practice. Uh, I, I don't mean just, just the, in the movement around stuff to stuff. I mean, for me, like, you know, it's where I'm doing a Qigong practice or I'm doing a, a dance practice or I'm, you know, or whatever it is, like, I, I need that. And I, I need to, like, exercise and move my body. And I need to be able to, I need to feel my relationship to gravity, my relationship to people around me through the body, you know, that's become the great forum for me, even more so than in some ways than a sitting practice. And that wasn't always the case. It's just where I'm at now. Um, so that's one. Another one is a nature practice to often go hand in hand, but for me, an opportunity to, to, to be in green spaces, to notice and appreciate subtleties that are going on there. Just the feeling of being connected to those spaces is really rich for me. Um, and then there's a service practice, you know, which is, 
the thing that happens when I teach uh, or sometimes when I write or, or when someone's in front of me and they're, they got a major issue and they're, they're hurting in some way, it's like, okay, I have to be absolutely present and no bullshit. I got to be real in this moment because that's what's going to help this person. And that feedback loop is my biggest practice. <laughs> it's just sure. the social practice, you know, okay. Uh, but other ones too, there's creative practices, you know, like around like just like deliberately making space to come up with creative responses to the world, whether it's through writing, through in conversation. Okay. Um, you know, it's sort of like they start out as these practices that are in their own little area, their own little kind of ghettos of your life or little zones, your little cordoned off schedule. But over time, the more you get into practices, the more they just start to bleed out. And the more you start to realize that, wow, it's the same skills I'm building in every practice. Yeah. You're building the same totally. skills in a movement practice, in a nature practice, in an art practice that you are in a meditation practice. It's the same four I just said, <laughs> you know, yeah. among others. Yeah, absolutely. Is there, um, Jeff, is there a time of day uh, until it, until they kind of bleed into uh, to a habit? Is there a time of day that you, you focus on for, for any of these practices? Um, yeah, I'm kind of learning my schedule. I mean, keep in mind, I have ADD, so my schedule gets blown out really quickly and that's my ongoing struggle. But, um, what I have found for me is that, uh, I like to do a short meditation practice when I can first thing in the morning, because it just sort of sets, it connects me to the qualities of how I want to try to find be in the day. And then I like to do a movement practice. So that's a good time for me the morning, uh, like first thing. And then I usually do, I try to do more of my work and stuff. Um, but more and more, uh, to be honest, the more and more I try to just figure out how I can fill my day with teaching because that's the main practice. That's the mm-hmm. thing I most love doing. And I try to fit that in, but it, it is absolutely true that the nervous system likes regularity. So when you're beginning a practice, yeah. it's good to do it at a consistent time, if you can every day, and it's better to do it more often than to do one big long chunk. So for a sitting practice, you know, to do a little bit in the morning and then do a little bit before evening before bed or say, or do a little bit after lunch or whatever it is to kind of have these regular. And I would just bootstrap it to your existing schedule. Like if you know, you got to brush your teeth, make like every time you, your reward to get to brush your teeth is that you got to do five minutes of meditation ahead of time you know, or something like that. Then you can brush your teeth or that kind of a thing. Or like, you know, you're going to get into work at this time. Well then take five minutes to sit in the car or to sit in a elevator or a parking lot or wherever you can and do your thing or, Something like that, like trying to work with your existing routine is what helps. But I mean, I will admit it's hard for even for me. Thank God it started to become a practice everywhere because I was the schedule thing was <laughs> it was hard for me. Yeah, it still is. So, Jeff, when 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 speaking about regular routine, you know, one of the questions I I ask all guests uh, on the show is, you know, what type of prompts are you asking yourself on a on a frequent basis, and and specifically. We always grab three because then those are are automatically implemented into the app and help people stimulate their reflection. So, the question the question for you is: Are there three reflective prompts that circulate in your life on a frequent basis, or during even big life changing events that have helped you? Um. Oh yeah, I have to think about that. Um, you know, there are. I tend to have different prompts going at different times. You know, I have, I have always mm-hmm. have an inquiry or different inquiries going and they change depending on what's coming up. But, uh, like I got one that's pretty much consistent is, 
you know, I kind of asked, what was that? (laughs) Oh yeah. That was some kind of tropical bird that just flew by (laughs) (laughs) real time. I didn't didn't hear it. Yeah. So that would be one prompt for tropical bird. What was the question? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, so no, I haven't said it yet. So I'm thinking of like a kind of pretty consistent prompt I have is, um, it's like, uh, like what racket do I have going on right now? (laughs) You know, like what, like like what, like fixation am I in? What delusion am I in? Like what story am I in right now? Um, for example, uh, last night I was just chilling out with my wife and she has the ability to just kind of just like totally relax and be in her body and Mm. just be really kind of at peace. But, uh, what I'm, what I'm doing all the time is I'm just, she says, she looks at me and it's like, my eyes are going back and forth. I'm just working out problems. I'm working (laughs) out problems all day long. Like I'm just working on problems, working on problems. So I'm inside this like rack, this story of there's a problem and I got to work out the problem. And yeah. so it's like, can I notice the layer I'm in? Like, so maybe that's the prompt is like, what's the layer I'm in right now? And can I just notice it and let it go? Let it just unspool on its own and come back into my senses. I love that. Well, I love the base question though. Just what story am I in right now? I think that yeah. that could be so relatable. What story, what layer? I mean, whatever your metaphor for it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And, and that's just, just one. on your other point, Jeff, the, it, it's okay if it's not frequent. Cause, cause to be honest with you, the, the, the whole reason why we're, we're, we're pulling all these questions from all the guests is actually to allow for that person's journaling practice to evolve with them where they are right now today. So totally open to whatever is resonating with you right now in, in your life, um, today in terms of, of, of prompts. Right. So then another, a second one would be, um, what subtle pleasures can I tune into right now in my experience? So it's like, mm. and, and, and can I actually take a moment to appreciate and to let land and let feel? So it's like, we might notice that the sun looks really nice in the leaves for a split second and then we're on to something else, but it's actually pausing and saying, no, I, it looks nice in those leaves. Let me just stop here for a moment. And actually let that sink in, let myself and, and sink in. And anytime you're noticing something that's beautiful or that, or you hear something that's wise or true, or you see a kindness that there's a small pleasure that we have when we notice those things and it's just stopping and taking a moment and sinking into that pleasure. So it could be yeah. the, the feeling of the warm, the warmth on your skin or, or something you see or something you hear, but it's just like, pausing to take a moment to let that actually land. And that's how you build the habit. I know for me, I build a habit of more simplicity and appreciation. And um, because those simple pleasures are all around us, but we kind of pave it over with our big hectic agendas, you know? Well, and I mean, why don't we just talk? First of all, thanks for sharing that. But why don't we talk about the fact, I mean, where you're located right now? Because I think a lot of people could relate to when you leave 
your regular routine, your regular city or situation. And then, you know, you land, I mean, you just, we just listened to a a beautiful tropical bird fly by. I've got the images (laughs) in my, in my head. (laughs) Um, It's sometimes easier, right? If when you're looking at that sunset or you're in that environment and things are a little bit different and then you take that appreciation in, but then you come back, right? And it's, it's, how do you, how do you still, you know, keep that type of a practice up? Well, that is when, the practice. I mean, what, exactly. you're describing, what you're describing is the uh, when you go to a new place, there's everything's charged with novelty, so you're, it's easier to find those qualities. Mm. The the but like the that. point of any practice is to, it's the thing you need when the novelty when falls away and you're back to in the routine. Like, how do you come out of the trance of being in the routine of something and actually notice that every moment has that freshness? And you, and the, the answer is you just have to make it a practice. And that even in, no matter what your situation is, there's a, a dozen times a day, you're already noticing something subtly pleasurable. It's just, it's happening in a flicker. You're just kind yeah. of noticing it. You're like, oh yeah, that's cool. And then you just keep going. So the, the practice is, is to actually just put the pause button every time that little noticing is happening. So if you're, so wherever you are right now, the feeling of suddenly coming into a warm room and there's this like, ah. Uh, this little drop in the shoulders or you're on the subway mm-hmm. in the commute and there's somebody's look reading a book in front of you and they start cracking up, they, they crack a smile and there's some, and you notice that and just kind of makes you laugh, you know, or some kid does something hilarious or the way the light looks reflected on the side of the, you know, of a car, whatever it is, like there, we're constantly noticing these little details and go, and there's a little flicker of like, oh yeah, that's cool. This, this, the, the practice is just to slow it down. And that's what, you know, Rick Hansen talks about like reversing the brain's negativity bias, that the the brain is wired to kind of like be noticing slights and injuries and more challenging stuff because it's trying to learn from them. And we get into the mindset where that's all that's ever happening. And so to begin to reverse that bias is to very slowly begin to notice the subtle ways in which there's like cool shit happening. And And then you can start to build up that. But it is definitely... A little bit of work. I mean, it's that's the the practice part of it. I forget all the time. Yeah. Well, no, and I and and I'm 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 glad you're being you know transparent with that, even from from your side. And you provide a lot of really great insights on how to help people through just that that daily appreciation. Because you're right. I mean, it's it's around us everywhere. That I mean, in many situations, like you can go really deep on this, right? On just gratitude and and just you know the fact that we've got heat and hydro and um you know you're in a place that um you know the sun's shining right now like it's 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 endless but you're right if you if you if you're on autopilot and you're not seeing these things it's it's really easy to just keep passing by right yeah and i see for me the the test i use is the this the greek the three greek i think they call them the greek transcendentals the true the good the beautiful it was like considered to be these basic kind of categories and that that we're con- we're always continually recognizing all three little tiny things that we say oh that looks kind of nice little things we say oh that sounds true or like or or something where we, we appreciate that someone does a kindness and it's like those things are happening all the time it's just it's just beginning to slow it down to notice and just take a moment to let it land let it land let it land you know like that's those are my categories i kind of have in my head mm-hmm. love that do you have a a third prompt? Well, yeah, I was just thinking, you know, as I was saying this, it's like, particularly as relating to journaling, you know, because I, uh, you know, before I was a meditation teacher, I was a professional writer. 
And I used to, I used to, at some point I realized that the practice of writing was the practice of what I would call like closing the authenticity gap. That often when I started writing, I'd be in the kind of cliche layer. Like I didn't even realize it, but I was like, I'd be writing what I think I think, but it wasn't really, it was only what I think I thought. It wasn't really what I really deeply felt, but I was kind of in the cliche layer. I was, I was responding from the way the culture might respond to a question or an issue or what I, my easy first thought was. And then as I began to write, like it was only once I got uh, actually like a few paragraphs written or a little bit more, still writing about the same subject, then I started to kind of get in to sink in to what I really felt. And that there was, and that's when I could, then I could feel that gap close. And then I could tell I was in the stream of the real thing. And often it was like about saying like there was some challenge that I was trying to write and I wasn't transparent what the challenge was. And the very struggle to try to articulate it was the thing that was interesting about the thing I'm writing about. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, so this idea of like, um, like what do you really think or, or, uh, or can you close the authenticity gap between what you think you think, the kind of the cliche layer and what you really think and like, and recognizing that there can be that gap there. You know, I don't know how you want to word that as a prompt. That's probably too complicated, but something about, uh, about closing the authenticity gap and like connecting to what you really feel or what you really think about something. No, I think that can take a while. Absolutely. For, for sure. And it's, it's interesting that though. So has that process, cause you still do a lot of writing, right? Obviously has that process changed at all or evolved or is that, you know, is that, is that how it has to be at least for you, right? You're starting off kind of in that different space and then you kind of work your way, you warm yourself up to getting into, like you said, what, what you really think. Yeah. Well, I mean, what happens more for me now is it happens conversationally because I do a lot of these podcasts and I do a lot of in the moment teaching and responding to people's questions. And what I find is, uh, first of all, it's easier to be, to connect in a super authentic way to what I believe for whatever reason, for me, it's easier to do that verbally than it is like when I'm writing, it's always a little bit of artifice around it. Now that has other values. Like I can be more in a story. I can do other things with that. But this, what the spoken word it, for me, it's, it lands me more there. So sometimes when I want to write something, I'll, I'll just dictate it now. Um, but the other thing to say about that is even in the speaking, like often in a podcast interview, it takes me like five or 10 minutes and then I can feel something drop. And then I drop in, I can feel like now I'm in the stream of what I really think. And at first I'm mm-hmm. kind of more art, like slightly more artificial because I'm just not really in the zone yet. And I'm kind of like, uh, you know, I'm still in my head a little bit, or I'm not really, haven't really kind of connected with the person who's interviewing me. So there's this layer where I'm kind of in this superficial layer. And then I can just, there's like a thing that happens. And and it's actually interesting because in Buddhism, they talk about, it's called prajna. It's like, it's the wisdom function. And I can just feel when I drop into the wisdom function, which is just, the wisdom function is just like the capacity to be totally real and honest in the moment with what's happening. You're able to kind of get into that flow channel and articulate it in the same way that you drop into the flow channel in a sport or in a, in a creative groove. It's the, it's the, it's the conversational version of that or the ideational version of that. Yeah. That's interesting because I think, <clears throat> excuse me, just, just listening to you um, articulate this, it seems like many of us probably just naturally go through that process. But we, what's, what stuck out to me is that you are really noticing when you, when, when that shifts and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm speaking generally, but I, I, I'd imagine most of us don't 
realize that it happens in, in, in a certain capacity, but the, the, the act of noticing it is, I think is really powerful. Yeah. That's the mind, the mindfulness, you know, but yeah. you're, you're totally right. Everyone it's super, what the process I'm describing is incredibly natural and actually everyone will probably know it, know that there's a moment when something clicks in the writing or something clicks in the conversation or in the kind of like, or in the, the motion, if you're doing a sport and now you're in that flow channel, like we all know that feeling and it's just the, what mindfulness does is it allows you to notice it and what's interesting is when you notice it then it can actually start it can start to happen more often mm-hmm. so people think oh if i notice it won't it make it self-conscious and screw it up but that's not self-consciousness is, is a contraction it's a thought it's like an anxiousness it's like a um you can notice it without that you just you're just aware and then when you're more aware of it then it happens more often it's just the weird way it works yeah yeah last question for you sir as we as we sit here today and 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 speak you know what at the end of the day what makes you smile each day um besides uh, tropical birds yeah people basically you know i like people full circle uh, to how we started this with relationships yeah i like looking at um because there's like this thing that happens when you're like there's this person and they're talking you're kind of like oh whatever yeah. And then there's suddenly something clicks and then you suddenly hear what they're saying and then you and you look back at them and then you see them. And you see, oh, this is this person. You see something about the character in their face. You see you suddenly m- notice something about them and it's just like you're, that um, is just an awesome feeling. And that may, always makes me smile because I yeah, it sounds yeah. cheesy, but that's that's just what does it. <laughs> Among no, other well, well said. And and Jeff, you know, a heartfelt thank you for for taking the time for this conversation, and and above that, just the work that you do day in and day out, because it's it has such value to people all around the world, and you know, it's it's your constant kind of drive and motivation to keep pushing through, and I, I can just feel the authenticity just coming through your voice and just the realness, and like you found a, a beautiful language to communicate all these practices in and um i just want to thank you for that oh man no problem dude i appreciate i appreciate you saying that and it sounds like you're doing some pretty awesome work too so i'm psyched to download my version of the app (laughs) absolutely have a great day okay you too